Welcome to What the Food with Karen Van Barneveld. Much of the time, we mindlessly consume food without really thinking about what's in it and how it affects us. Not only is some food addictive, it also might be unsafe. On our program, you'll find the answers about why food is addictive, how it affects us, and how to find a safe route to better health. Now, here's your host, Karen Van Barneveld. Hey, this is Karen Van Barneveld with WTF, What the Food, where we tell all the dirty little secrets of what's on your plate. Here with me today to talk about nutrition and addiction is David Marion. Welcome, David. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Karen, for having me. Oh, my pleasure. A little bit about David. He's a nationally known advocate for people struggling to overcome addiction and find recovery and using the adversity of his own story to inspire thousands of others to get help. Today, David is a certified intervention professional and recovery coach, as well as a motivational speaker who carries the message of hope and healing. Boy, we sure need a lot of that right now, don't we? That's for sure. And also an author. Uh, Yeah. Well, David's multiple addictions cost him everything. His wife and two daughters, a multi-million dollar business and nearly his life. We'll maybe get to hear about that later. He was sentenced to five years in federal prison where he began to turn his life around and find redemption. And he's the author of Addiction Rescue, the No BS Guide to Recovery. Great name. Co-authored by his ex-wife, Dana Golden. David lives in Minnesota and travels the country working with organizations and families to help those caught in the grip of addiction. Wow, that's a lot. And I really appreciate, and I hope our listeners appreciate everything that you do to help people with addictions. So can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up in treatment? Which time, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> we could start with the first. Um, I, I'm a guy that grew up in New York City, went to college in Florida, and had a wonderful college experience down there. Walked on to a Division One basketball school uh, team. And, you know, I ended up going back to New York City when I graduated, Karen, and I got involved, um, I started working on Wall Street as a stockbroker and eventually became a sales manager of a brokerage firm. I was working in the mid 80s, early 80s and late 80s when um, cocaine was pretty accessible back then. Yes, it was. And liquid lunches were yes. uh, an everyday occurrence. And um, you know, my drug use progressed and eventually there was an intervention that was done on me. September 1st, 1989. Wow. And they were sending me out to a place in the Midwest in Minnesota called Hazelden, which is now Hazelden Betty Ford. Uh-huh. And that's where the journey began. 31 years ago, I had gone through treatment there and I ended up staying. Um, I was going to relocate and live in Minnesota and change my career and do things like that, which I ended up doing. It took a little uh, pushing and uh-huh. at the time I wasn't ready, but I knew in order for me to stay clean and sober, I had to do this. So and how, how long were you clean the first time? 13 years, 13 or wow. 14 years. I had met my ex-wife, Dana, uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, had two daughters and started a wonderful business, was successful. And after about 12 years, I had some knee surgeries done from playing college ball. And um, I was a first generation opioid guy. First prescription, uh, the doctor gave me 180 pills. What, uh, what was the prescription, if you don't mind my asking? Vicodin. Ah, uh, Okay. And I ate two of them, and I felt like I was back at Studio 54 in the (laughs) 70s having the time of my life. I called the doctor up immediately and said, Doc, you're never going to believe this. I took two of them as I was going to the bathroom, and the pills fell down the toilet. Oh, geez. He said, David, oh, geez, I will write you another prescription. Of course. And it was that fast. I was off to the races. So that was your catalyst. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, I know uh, from my own experience with my granddaughter that she was uh, prescribed Oxycontin for a wrist injury while she was in high school and told that it was not addictive. Of course, we know different now. And she um, eventually, you know, they couldn't, she couldn't get her prescription refilled and she started looking for other drugs in other locations and found them and became an addict. And she passed away at 23 as a direct result of that addiction. Oh, so I'm so at firsthand knowledge of that. Yeah, but um, as somebody who's recovering from multiple addictions, um, what are the key elements to your current abstinence? Well, the key elements or principles, I call them, um, They're based on everything adverse when we're using. And for me, it's about humility, responsibility, and accountability. Mm. More importantly, recovery is a three-facet deal for me. It's mind, body, and spirit. And the importance of incorporating a healthy lifestyle, a spiritual lifestyle, and the connectiveness with other people is something that I practice on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about the food. We can talk about um, the workouts and, you know, the connectiveness of people in recovery on a daily basis. I was looking at my phone yesterday. Somebody asked me, how many people do you talk to a day in recovery? And I said, I don't know. A young man that I'm working with. Um, and I looked on my phone and I saw that I had talked to 23 different people wow. yesterday in recovery. Jeez. And my days fly by. I don't recognize it, but it's uh, today was probably the same, if not more. Wow. Wow, that's a lot of people that, that come to you, and it's great that they have you to come to. Mm. And uh, uh, when I read your book, uh, you said that there is no one-size-fits-all treatment plan. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. <clears throat> There are so many different paths to recovery today. I'm a 12-step guy. There are, you know, equine therapy. There's wilderness excursions. There's uh, smart recovery. Um, there's holistic therapeutic approaches to recovery. And for me, there's not one particular one-size-fits-all for any person. But more importantly, you have to find a path. It doesn't matter what path it is. But you have to find the path towards recovery because if you are working that program, whatever path it is, 
your life is going to change measurably from the way it was. So to tell somebody you can only do the 12 steps or you can only do this and that, I don't think that's right. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, neither do I. Mm -hmm. Um, You also say why it's so important that in order to find sobriety, one needs to step outside their environment. I'm assuming that means the friends that they had when they were using. Yes. Maybe their family. Well, they say it's a simple program. All you have to do is change your entire life, (laughs) (laughs) which means we're going to have to get away from a lot of our past people that I call them. There's a lot of negative people in my life that were sucking the spirit out of me. And these are the people that were the hanger honors. Yeah. And they weren't adding anything to my life. They weren't multiplying in my life. They weren't doing anything positive. And when I got in recovery, I had to find my tribe. Mm-hmm. And my tribe were the people that were doing the deal, working their program, living a different life. And they were talking about this word I kept hearing, spirituality. <laughs> And to me, that was just this long word that didn't have a lot of meaning to it. (laughs) And I wanted to know what everyone is talking about, this spiritual way of life. And Karen, I've come to find in my spirituality, the definition is simple. It's, It's really patience. It's tolerance. It's understanding. It's compassion. It's empathy. It's sympathy and love. Yeah. I love that. And when I was told uh, one time years and years ago at some kind of a motivational weekend, if you hang around turkeys, you're never going to fly like an eagle. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So, and in, in your line of work as an interventionist, that's a new word for me. I never heard about an interventionist and recovery coach. Who are your clients? So as an interventionist, I'm on the front line fighting addiction. I'm the guy that usually they call last, not first, after the family has tried everything and they've dealt with their loved one who's been struggling with self-destructive behaviors. I uh, I say I'm the guy that they call to get their loved one off the elevator before the ground floor. Mm. A lot of my clients are anywhere from, um, I've done interventions on professional athletes, lead singers in uh, musicians and bands in this country, uh, C-suite executives, um, brothers and sisters out on the street, um, people that are struggling to find a common solution to their problem. Mm-hmm. Wow. So from all walks of life, it's yes. not, not what most people would consider just the dregs. That's of- right. This is an equal opportunity destroyer. It exactly. doesn't matter our size, our shape, our color, um, our religion, our socioeconomic situation. Um, yeah, it affects all of us in different ways, and we don't know. I didn't choose to become an alcoholic or drug addict, but I certainly did choose my recovery. And since yeah. I have, my life has changed um, for the That's, second time. Yeah. So, so and this, what, uh, go ahead. I was going to say this December 23rd, I'll celebrate nine years of continuous recovery again. Ah, Congratulations. Thank you. And I've been in this thing for 31 years. I had 14 years and now nine. And let me tell you, the time between the 14 and the nine, uh, there was a little 
a five-year stint in prison I was sentenced to, but I ended up doing 36 months, 11 days, seven hours, and six minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And um, prison's going to do one of two things. It's going to make you a better person or a better criminal. Yeah. me, I am blessed on a daily basis that I took a really deep introspective look at myself and really, really wanting to change the narrative of my legacy, change the narrative of my life. I wanted to stop disappointing people and I wanted to make people proud. Mm -hmm. I'm really happy to say that that's what I've been doing. (laughs) So you said that you lost everything, your wife and daughters, et cetera. How's your relationship now? I noticed that your wife, Dana, is your co-author on your book. Yes. My relationship with her is great. We have a fabulous relationship. We do a lot of work together. Um, we, are, we realized the relationship part wasn't working, the intimacy piece, but there was a friendship under there mm-hmm. that formed uh, early on. And we also raised two daughters together. My daughters really never left my side more than being disappointed by my side of what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of shame attached. It was a high profile case. And, you know, I was put on the front page of the papers um, out here in Minnesota. And so, yeah, there was a lot of shame attached to it. And they had to overcome a lot. My daughters, if I don't talk to them twice a day by FaceTime, something's wrong. I mean, we're best friends. We're wonderful. Um, we just celebrated Thanksgiving together in Florida. And um, yeah, you know, when we understand the dynamics of addiction, I might have been afflicted with this disease, but they were affected. Yeah. And, you know, alcoholism and drug addiction is a family disease, and the recovery is a journey together. Yes. It's not one person. And I often see this on an intervention. Well, you know, um, my husband, my wife, my son, they have such a problem. And, oh, if they could stop drinking, our lives would be great. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said the same thing. If I could just stop drinking, my life would be great. And I stopped drinking and using, and then I had the ism, I call it, right? The anxiety, the fear, the resentment, the anger. So the alcohol for me was a symptom of the real underlying issues that I hadn't dealt with. Mm -hmm. And when I deal with families, I find out for the most part during an intervention, not only is it emotional a very emotional process. It's a quite authentic process that people seem to tell me things they have never told anybody in their life. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? It's amazing. I've heard some um, wonderful, wonderful things. And to give you an example, I was doing an intervention in East, Oh, I don't know, East Haven, maybe Connecticut on a 31 year old uh, young man, heroin addict, there's a big Italian family there. And what does an Italian family bring to an intervention? <laughs> Food. Food. Exactly. <laughs> they brought pasta for Zul, got ravioli. I said, I don't know if we eat before or after. So anyway, um, halfway through the intervention, I'll just say this young man's name. I'll call him Bobby. Bobby gets up. We're in a hotel conference room, and he's incest. He can't talk. He's foaming at the mouth. He's so mad at what's happening. His mother, a little Italian lady, yells at him, sit down. And I said, please, let me handle this. He begins to walk outside. 
up the stairs into the parking lot and I go after him. Bobby still's not talking. He gets to his car, he opens up the front door and he pulls out a cigarette and lights it up. Now he goes and opens the trunk. And my first thought is, okay, baseball bat, three yeah, iron, yeah. sledgehammer, what's it going to be today? I'm going right. to get it. And he pulls out a pad and paper, Karen. And he still can't talk and he begins to write. And I said, get it out, Bobby, get it all out. And Bobby's writing. And finally, he rips the letter out and he hands it to me. And I begin to read it. And it was about the physical and sexual abuse he endured as a child that not one of his family members knew in that room. Oh, my goodness. I said, Bobby, give me the lighter. Oh. I it up in the parking lot. And I said, Bobby, give me a hug. It's over. You don't have to keep living the way you're living and feeling the way you're feeling. You've released mm -hmm. this. And I said, give me your car keys, too. <laughs> if you want <laughs> to leave, baseball I'll leave. Bat. <laughs> <laughs> you want to leave, too, I'll let you leave. But for the most <laughs> part. And we went down, back downstairs after he finished his cigarette, concluded the intervention, and I took him to treatment. Mm -hmm. And those are some of the miracles that we see when we get wow. to do things like that, that are so fabulous. Um, the stories that I have and the places that I've been and the people that I get to meet are the most incredible ever. That is, that is really amazing. Yeah. Some of the things that people are able to let go of when they drop the crutch. When they drop, the, but they don't know what it looks like. Yeah. They're Can afraid. Can I give you another They're... real quick story of an intervention that's really sure. meaningful? I was called to a town in North Dakota to do an intervention on a registered nurse, 48 years old. I asked them, they said, she's doing too much meth. I said, well, how would you know that? They said, well, every other nurse is seeing three patients a day. She's seeing nine. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, well, test her. They tested her and came back positive. Oh. And sure enough, I did an intervention. I brought her to uh, Hazleton. And after 30 days, she looked at me and said, now what? I said, what mm -hmm. happened to your license as an RN? She said, they have suspended it for two years. I said, great, we are going to go through this um, halfway, the Hazleton halfway house for three months. After three months, now what? Sober living with women. She went into sober living with women for another five, six months. And I get a lot of speaking opportunities around the country. And I was asked to speak at the University of Minnesota to 150 graduate nursing students. And I called my friend, let's call her Andrea, and I said, Andrea, I'm speaking tomorrow morning at 8.30. Please meet me at 8.15. She showed up at 8.15, and I said, by the way, you're speaking today also. <laughs> she says, what? I've never done anything. I've never, you know, being a registered nurse, talking to nursing students. Sure. I said, I will introduce you. I introduced her. And if I tell you there wasn't a dry eye in the house when she was telling her story, oh. when she was done, the women and men were coming up and hugging her and thanking her for sharing this. Oh. As we're leaving, she looked at me and she said, David, I've been wanting to feel this way at the bottom. I've been looking for this at the bottom of the bottle, the bottom of the dope bag my whole life. And I mm. found it today. That's truly amazing. It's, it's truly fast. amazing. I still get choked up when I. I just got chills when I was listening to you. So. What are some of the main things that you focus on when you help your clients? 
When we're moving into recovery, a lot of people, I say, are riddled with depression and anxiety or depression and resentment. A lot of the depression and resentment comes from living in yesterday. I had mm-hmm. all this and I lost it. I had this and, you know, I went through that. My God, I was worth, you know, so much money and I had all this stuff and I have nothing now. Mm-hmm. And then we get the anxiety and fear of trying to think about tomorrow and what's to come. And I have all this stuff I have to worry about. And I said, when we dismiss that, we begin to live in the now and the present. Mm-hmm. This is life as it's happening right now, right? John Lennon said, life's what's happening while we're busy making plans. Right. But this is as good as it gets for, you know, 521 in Minneapolis on Thursday, December 3rd. And when we stay in this, And begin to enjoy the moments. We begin to enjoy the days and the weeks and the months. Hmm. What uh, what are your first priorities in helping someone get to sobriety? Well, like in my book, I have a five action step plan. Action plan number one, wake up and pull your head out of your ass. Okay. (laughs) Because uh, somewhere along the line, and I, I often tell these people that that's the most important piece. We have got to wake up and rinse off. Mm-hmm. You have to learn how to really begin to understand what's going on with you. The second part of the action plan is the understanding your addiction. Mm-hmm. The third is finding a, excuse me, finding a solution that's right for you. The fourth is doing the work, and the fifth is the aftercare. Yeah. But it all starts with rinsing off initially. When you're dealing with addiction, it's almost as like there's a stink bomb that went off. No one wants to be around you. Mm -hmm. Our employers, our friends, our family, our loved ones, everyone knows. And we're usually the last one to know. And I say, it's often like walking around with your fly open. Everyone sees it, but you, Mm -hmm. we don't think anybody sees it. (laughs) And with everyone not wanting to be around us and talk with us. And um, it's a really lonely place, which equates to, you know, addiction. Addiction is a disease of isolation and loneliness. And the antidote really is commitment to connection, Mm -hmm. commitment to community. So once these people rinse off and they begin to see life a little differently, and I say they tap into the spirit of recovery, then all of a sudden people come around them, Karen, and look at them differently and say, my God, uh, did you get a haircut? Mm -hmm. See the clarity in your eyes. When I'm speaking, you're listening to me. And then people start asking questions like, I have a friend, a brother, an uncle struggling with alcoholism. Would you mind talking to them? Mm. Okay. And then they come up to us and say, you know, I really love what you have and I want what you have. Would you sponsor me? Uh So how do we go from people not wanting us when we're using nothing to do with us? Now they want what we have Yeah. because the spirit illuminates. Yes. And it can't be hidden. Your light shines. Yes. When you have clarity of thought and mind and heart, your light shines. Well, hey, listeners, you can find out more information about David Marion at 
theliferecoverycoach.com. Is that correct, David? That is. Okay. And are you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn? I am. Yep, David Marion. Okay. And where can the listeners buy your book? It is on Amazon. Okay. Yep. Great. Um, it's okay. on Amazon, and absolutely. Okay. And well, coming you, up. Right? Now send them one. <laughs> <laughs> coming up after the break, we are going to talk about how nutrition affects addicts in recovery and some of the the key elements in how your food, what you put on your plate, can help you with less recidivism, less relapse, mm. along with other modalities of healing. Come back and hear more from David Marion. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you ever wonder if you're taking the right vitamins and supplements? What about prescription medicines you may be taking? Is it a dangerous or effective combination? Now you can find out by tuning in to your daily dose with host Doreen Doucette. We'll discuss the proper ways that supplements and natural therapies can benefit your health. You'll also hear about the best vitamin brands to use, hear from experts, and more. Listen for new shows every week on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to What the Food. To reach Karen Van Barneveld or her guest on the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to karen at whatthefoodfilm.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to WTF What the Food. I'm here with David Marion, author of Addiction Rescue, The No BS Guide to Recovery, co-authored by Dana Golden, his ex-wife. And I love to hear that 
that you are, in fact, um, able to communicate and work with your ex. Um, it's really, it says a lot about recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You talk about, in your book, you talk about recovery of the mind, body, and spirit. Where do you feel and see food and nutrition coming into that? Um, huge place. Obviously, proper nutrition is also a reducer of stress and anxiety. Um, I think the importance of eating right is such a huge component in our recovery. How often have people said, I ate this terrible meal, I feel awful, I feel this, I said, and triggering other emotions. Mm-hmm. And when you are dealing with substance use disorder, you have a lot of different triggers that aren't necessary that you don't want to bring on yourself. And I think eating right, it's, um, there's not a lot of people out there, let's say, that are dispensing a message today on how do we dismember and dismantle the power of the obsession. Hmm. Obsession to eat bad foods, obsession to drink, to use drugs, to, you know, in excess and things like that. And I think that once we begin to disrupt it, which is so important that I teach a lot of my coaching clients, how do we become the big disruptor? How do I begin to change the way we are acting? You can't, you know, think your way to a new way. You have to act your way into a new way of thinking. And I think when people begin to do that and recognize that the food that they're eating is directly proportionate to the way they're going to feel, it begins to resonate with them. More treatment centers, a lot of the better well-known treatment centers have begun to get cognizant on the behavior of food and the servings of what they are feeding their patients as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it's time. It's way past time. And uh, before we came on earlier, you were, we were talking about the Florida model and you have some familiarity with that as do I, um, where they're, pretty much just um, running addicts through these recovery centers like cattle mm-hmm. and trying to, you know, the, the more the merrier because they get that insurance check from them every month or every two weeks. Do you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's something that I have dealt with for years and years I have pulled people out of these treatment centers that aren't worth the paper they were written on. And what they are doing is causing an erosion in recovery today. Mm -hmm. They are doing this for the wrong reason. There's not many people out there on the front line fighting this that have the passion. And I am a guy that has complete passion. Um, I don't do it for the income. I do it for the outcome. Mm-hmm. And when I begin to see changes in people, it's wonderful. Treatment centers, there's a lot of bad treatment centers. And it's not just Florida. I got to tell you, the Southeast is riddled with them because mm-hmm. that's where the places they had the pill mills and um, a lot of the problems like that. And they started putting up places they thought that could help with the opioid epidemic and help people recover. And they turned into these MAT places, medical assisted treatment places still getting funding for these people, um, but they're not recovering, Karen. These people are not recovering. I had a guy come to me recently and he said, David, I've been on Suboxone nine years. I can't get off it. And they keep putting me on this. 
And to go through life like that is, um, it's awful. It really is. And when these treatment centers down there are not providing the right services and things like that, believe me, eventually they will get, they will get run out of business. And through the pandemic, there's a lot of these places that have closed. Good. A lot of these places have absolutely shut down because um, they're not worth it. And people see that. Yeah. Is this uh, your five action plan for recovery? Your fifth action is aftercare. How yeah. does food and nutrition fit into aftercare? It's a huge component. It really is. Um, you know, more of the aftercare that I'm talking about is continuum care. How do we stay and maintain what we're doing? Just because we got the tools in a treatment center, okay, we loaded up our tool belt. Now that I'm out there living life, the air hits me as I get out of a treatment center and I'm driving down the road and I see a fast food sign and all of a sudden my mind triggered something in me. And what I have to do is go back to the basics and remind myself that this is something that will pass. It is an obsession that I have created and I know how to dismantle it today. So I think working with people and letting them understand, um, you know, we have 164,000 thoughts that go through our mind every day. I could tell you they're not all going to be positive. <laughs> and a lot <laughs> of them are the same four, thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I had about 46,000 negative ones today, but, you know, that was an average. <laughs> it's how do so, we dismember that, right? Right. <laughs> well, how, um, how do you actually teach nutrition in the aftercare? What is the process behind that? Um, I personally have worked with many nutritionists and trainers. And what we'll do is we'll go over your macronutrients to find out what your body's consumption is, what does it look like, and do the complete breakdown and figure out what it is that your body um, is going to need to really make you feel the healthiest. And it's all people have different ideas. They want to lose weight. They want to gain weight. They want to maintain. But at the same time, it's about eating the right food. It's about making the right choices. People don't know what the right choices are. They don't know how to put fat, uh, protein, and carbs into their diet. So they look at something and says, well, it's a salad. It's great, right? Or, you know, I'm having, um, you know, late carbs in the afternoon or late carbs at night, and I'm not losing any weight. It's about <laughs> teaching them and regulating this so you have that daily balance to feel good about yourself. Um, and we're trying to really remove a lot of the, I call it um, emotional sobriety is a term mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard. Yeah. Bill Wilson, the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, touched on it years ago. And there's been other doctors and scientists that have really expanded on it since then. And part of having that emotional sobriety is putting the right food in our body to make us feel connected, to make us feel okay. And when I eat good and I show people how to eat well, um, their lives begin to change slowly but surely, bit by bit. Is there any discussion around processed and GMO foods versus organics? Yes. I'm an organics guy. Good. Uh, yes. And absolutely. I talked to them about the processed food. I said, you know, trying to show people how to read a label, how to mm. understand the nutrients in what you're eating. 
And some people have looked and said, you know, I've been eating my whole life, David. I've never looked at the back of a label. Mm-hmm. And once you break down the simplicity of what that's going in there and understanding, you know, what the sugar is going to do and all these different things to your body. And, oh, my God, look at the sodium in here. No wonder why I'm so swelled up. No wonder why I have all this water <laughs> retention. My gosh. Yeah. And that's part of the understanding of it. And it is a process. It's not an event, I say. Right? Right. Right. It's and it's totally. a teaching process. Some people just don't understand it. And they have to be taught it. Well, they've never understood it because they haven't learned it at home, a lot of them. That's correct. So you mentioned something about um, the coronavirus uh, shutting down addiction centers that were not helping people. What other effects has the, have you found the coronavirus has had on addiction? <laughs> A tremendous effect. I mean, there was an epidemic prior to the pandemic, you know, and once this pandemic ends, it's going to be a panda mess is what I call it. <laughs> the carnage and fallout that we're seeing is staggering today. Mm. I mean, people with long-term sobriety, people with short-term, people looking for sobriety that are relapsing. Mm -hmm. These are numbers that we have never seen. The overdose rate is up. Um, you know, and I think a lot of this has to do with, okay, now that we're sheltering in place, now that I'm working out of my home, the average person that says, okay, my desk is 16 feet away from the liquor cabinet, the refrigerator is 12 feet away. I've walked by it 92 times today. Mm -hmm. My structure has changed. Instead of having my breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I am now watching people eat throughout the day. They go by the refrigerator. Have I eaten? I don't know. It's a lunchtime. I don't remember if I had lunch or not had lunch. I've just been nibbling all day. So I think with that, it's also the same with drinking. 62% of the people working out of home have admitted to having at least one drink during the day, at least one. Online alcohol sales have been up 387% oh my in March and April. These are numbers that beyond the wildest that we've ever seen. That's crazy. I haven't heard that number before. Yeah. You, uh, you mentioned something about um, a court case or something that you've got going or what was that during the break that you were talking about um, something you brought in front of oh no the, uh, what was you, that well you know you take it talking to a guy who's been to prison you say court I say whoa <laughs> <laughs> slow down Karen <laughs> you got me looking over my shoulder now <laughs> oh so sorry. <laughs> what, uh, last year, I worked with a team in the Capitol in St. Paul, Minnesota, to create legislation ah, okay. for an opioid stewardship bill. And what this bill did is to hold the pharmaceutical companies accountable for the mess that they created. Oh, yeah. It increased the registration fees to help with prevention and education, to buy more Narcan, secure the borders and things like that in the state of Minnesota. Insert, and, in, re, increase what registration fees? In order for the pharmaceutical companies to sell pharmaceuticals in the state of Minnesota, it was a $250 registration fee to sell billions and billions <laughs> of opioids. Aye. So we raised it and capped it at a quarter million. 
uh, with a max of 21 million. And the money's being used in a really, really great way to prevent, to educate. Um, but at the same time, I watched bipartisanship come together. There was Republican senators and Democratic senators who wrote the bill together. Nice. Because they each had a mutual cause. They had a son and a daughter die to an overdose. Yeah. And when you testify in front of Senate subcommittee hearings and you hear some things you couldn't believe, and Prince's cousin, who's a very good friend of mine, testified also. And it was mm -hmm. fabulous to watch this come together and get this bill passed. And now 12 other states are copying our lead on this. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where uh, I, I remember watching a short uh, video about this. Do you have the, an address that the listeners can go to to watch that? It's there's probably on my website. If you go on my website, theliferecoverycoach.com, I have a bunch of them that are on there. Um, and you can find all the videos of the stuff that we've done, the work that I've done with them. Um, so it's, it's just really incredible work to watch the legislation and a bill come together and mm -hmm. to still see opposition, opposition oh, sure. in the Senate. Well, there's because always... Yeah, and the There's same reason, we know why, because a lot of the senators and a lot of the representatives are being funded by the pharmaceutical companies. Exactly. Or, or they have stock in them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It always, you know, you always got to follow the money. That's right. And as right. someone in the thick of navigating addiction during this time, would you see the recovery community looking like down the road? That's a great question because I think the current landscape has changed. I think that now that we are doing a lot of the Zoom meetings and not in-person meetings, I think there has been the effectiveness of virtual outpatient uh, therapy. And a lot of these are done through the computer today rather than in-person. And they're moving that way because they've done some short and long-term, well, long-term being about nine months, um, studies on not only the availability of the clients, but also the responsibility and accountability of these clients to show up. And the numbers are as high as they've ever seen. Rather than people showing up in person, um, they're doing it online. Now, the effectiveness, I said they need to do some real data and studies on are these people staying clean through this process of doing it online? Because there's nothing like walking into a meeting, whether it's an AA meeting, NA meeting, cocaine anonymous, food anonymous, shopping anonymous, and somebody sits there and they're talking and I say they cut their veins open and they pour it out. They're telling you their life story. They're bringing it and you're looking them in the eye and you watch them see the pain. Mm -hmm. It's a little different than we're seeing on a Zoom meeting. You know, if you're in a Zoom meeting and, and I say, hey, Karen, you know, what you share, uh, if we're in an actual physical meeting, and you're sitting in there talking, and I said, you know, you said some really wonderful things today and it resonated with me. Would you like to have a cup of coffee and you could talk to me more about that? And, you know, that would be pretty innocuous. Mm -hmm. Today, if you say to somebody on a Zoom meeting, you know, hey, I liked what you said. Would you give me a call? They're like, who's this guy creeping on me? Right? <laughs> it's so, it's a little changes and things like that. But um, as far as effectiveness, I think the Zooms are great. I could still Zoom meetings. 
I was on a meeting recently in Canada, Australia, and London at the same time. Hmm. So that's different. You can pop into meetings all over the world today. And I think that's what's going to stay strong. And I believe the virtual uh, telehealth is really something that is um, headed in a great direction in the future. So is there a, a group of uh, people in the addiction recovery community that is focusing on nutrition as uh, a huge component of not relapsing on Zoom? There is not right now that I have found. Hey, David. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Something else you can think about doing Absolutely. in the future. Absolutely. And I think that would be such a um, powerful, powerful Zoom. Um, I think so, too. And I'd be happy to help. Well, I do some things with the CDC. There's a project that I did. It's called the RX Awareness Campaign. Oh, yeah. And um, we did some documentaries and we filmed a bunch of stuff here. And I became one of the focal points for them doing their um, outreach. And I would love to have the opportunity to do a webinar with them and you and connect on this topic, which would be fabulous. Yes, I see that in our future. Good. So I want to get down to a little bit of the, the dirt here. Good. You were sentenced to five years in federal prison. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I know you didn't do the, the whole time, but you did enough to find right. out about the food in the prison system, which I know is not really food. I was in the federal prison system, and obviously I don't know if there's much difference between state and federal, but at the same time, it's just loaded with fat, loaded with carbs. Uh, the protein is really hard to get unless you're buying it in the black market. In prison, everyone has a hustle. And if you work in the kitchen, you're stealing a lot of the protein and selling it to the compound. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you'd have to fight and scream to get your eggs and things like that and to get your protein, uh, the chickens thing. Uh, but the problem is, is you have to do it really illegally. Mm -hmm. you know? And to eat well, that's really the only way you can do it. I mean, what are you going to do? Go to commissary and get the little Debs? You know, yeah. if you ever looked at a commissary sheet, you'd be amazed at some of the junk that they sell. Um, well, and even the proteins are from factory farms. So right. they're full of uh, genetically modified organisms and uh, pesticides and antibiotics and hormones and, and everything else. So what you're eating is is really tearing you up from the inside out. Did you have any adverse to ad re reactions to the food that you were eating in prison? Yes, I did. Um, I had a lot of adverse reactions, especially coming into the, I didn't know how I was going to eat. After the first few weeks, I was so sick. Uh, my stomach was churning and, you know, um, a lot of bad bowel movements and things like that. And I never forget one day I saw a truck pulling into the, uh, kitchen compound and I swear as the day is long it said on the back of the truck not for human consumption oh my gosh <laughs> and we were absolutely stunned when we saw that wow 
they're buying this food so cheap and people are giving them the food that they're putting in the prison system. And if they did change that, if they did create something differently, you know, they, I think it would definitely change the recidivism rate, um, the recovery rate, things of that nature to help people really uh, reform themselves. But at the same time, prison isn't about reformation. It's about punitive damages. Right. Reformation comes from within. We know that. Well, they don't have a chance if they're not being fed nutrition to feed their brain cells Completely. and their bodies. Absolutely. And I, I know that um, a couple of my grandsons who went through some difficult times with their ADD, ADHD, et cetera, you know, a, a, a result of some of that is impulse control. So, you know, they were stealing and then they were doing drugs and stealing more and they wound up in the prison system and they were really, really sick. Most of the, almost the whole time they were in the prison system, they were sick with something or other and they were in and out of the, what do they call it? It's not the hospital, but. Uh, the infirmary? Yeah, the infirmary with different things and internal bleeding, um, leaky gut syndrome, all kinds of horrible things. And since they've been out and they've been eating better, voila, you right. know, they're, they're healthier. Absolutely. And the prison system does not have good medical attention. None. No, they want to just send you back to your, your cell and say, get over it. Right. Or good dental. If you have a toothache, oh, we'll pull the tooth. Well, yeah. is there another option? I have a cavity. We'll pull it. Exactly. You know, that's what their solution is. We'll pull your teeth. Hmm. Yeah. And the medical attention is the same. It's really, you know, it's too bad you're in prison. I often heard that, you know, get used to it. Yeah. Time and get out. Well, do you have any final words of wisdom that you'd like to share about anybody who might hear this in the prison system or out? I think no matter what you're going through in life, we all, you know, life to us isn't about our successes and accomplishments. It's about overcoming adversity. Mm. Each and every one of us have adversity in life. And there's really no way around it, but we have to go through it. And once we're going through it, remember there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And eventually you will get through it if you stay consistent and stay on your path. And if you're in the system right now, I can tell you, God bless you. Life does get better. If you're fortunate enough to have an outdate, life does get better. But you begin to take care of yourself and look inside and see the best you could do to make yourself a better person while you're in there. Mm -hmm. I promise you, life will change on the outside. Well, thank you so much. Well, I want to remind our listeners to like our show on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on the Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, etc. And again, you can find more information about our topics of discussion today on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And please click on the link here on my host page to watch the What the Food 8-Minute Documentary Trailer, or you can go to the website www.whatthefoodfilm.org and order a copy of my book, God Made Organics, Not GMOs. You can also pre-order a copy of my new What the Food Cookbook, which is coming out hopefully before 
Christmas. And you might want to help us out at What the Food nonprofit by making a tax-deductible donation on the site before the end of the year. And then you can check out HeavenlyYoga.com. That's Heavenly Yoga with one Y, Heavenly Yoga, to subscribe to my Anytime, Anywhere yoga classes. You can also join my partner and me, Mindy, for revitalizing retreat at Harmony and Heart Retreats in gorgeous and serene Sedona next year. Just click on the banner on the host page. Go to harmonyandheart.com to check out our early bird $500 discounts. There is limited space available. And always, always, always be kind to yourselves. Thank you again, David, for joining me today and for everything that you do in the addiction community to help people find their own light. Thank you so much for letting me get this message out there today, Karen. And thank you for doing what you do. My pleasure. And I hope to be able to work with you in the future. I certainly do too. All right. Take care, everyone. And again, be kind to yourselves. Thank you for joining host Karen Van Barneveld and What the Food. Be sure to tune in for another episode next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon.